0: Pocketing the room key, filthy Henry walked around the bed and looked down at the red man as it rubbed its head. The creature's skin was a dark shade of red, a maroon color. Thus, where the race got its name. Originality was another thing that was lacking amongst the Redman race. Scattered on the ground around the creature were various types of women's underwear: bras, knickers, panties, and what looked like a shoelace made from silk. That was bloody uncalled for. "'the red man said, glaring up at the fairy detective. "'Wait, how can you see me?' "'Don't worry about that for a minute. "'Pass me my shoe,' he said. "'Filthy Henry held out his hand and clicked his fingers twice. "'The red man did as instructed, "'tossing the shoe up in the air towards Filthy Henry. "'So,' he said, catching the shoe and putting it back on his foot, "'what the hell is a red man doing here? "'More to the point, why are you trawling through women's underwear?' It should not have been possible to notice, given his complexion, but Filthy Henry could, would have sworn that the red man went, from re- went red from embarrassment. The creature stopped rubbing the side of its head. It suddenly found everything else in the room more interesting to look at. Hello, and welcome back to the Guild Podcast. I am your host, Chris Mary Holtman, and I'm seated here in my little nook, in my little part of the world. Today's guest is Derek Power, the author of Filthy Henry, a series of very interesting books. And the conversation is equally as interesting, and the way uh, Derek went from You know, just writing short stories to self-publishing and everything that that entails entails is a very interesting story. So stick around and listen to that. Um, Let's dive into it right away. Derek Power, welcome to the Guild Podcast and my little nook here, where we do our interviews. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good.
1: Um, thanks for having me on. Um, how how how's things in your neck of the world?
0: Actually, they're they're good. Um, boy, we don't we're not so locked down. Uh, you know, we're we're living in Sweden. One of the, I mean, I think it's becoming increasingly um, obvious. That people either put Sweden as a an, a good example of how it can be done, just with social distancing, but also as a pretty poor example because we're not flatter, flattening any curves. So
1: <laughs> we've just started lifting lockdowns in Ireland um, this week, actually. Yeah. So yes, they they opened up. I think it was uh, um, DIY stores were allowed okay. to open up again. And uh, the scenes were like something out of Mad Max. It was just like cars everywhere and queues everywhere. Everyone wants to do DIY now because they've been doing nothing the last few weeks.
0: Well, actually, that's been ha- – I mean, because a lot, of, a lot of places have been closed. Um, like hotels have been closed. People haven't really gone out to hotels and stuff like that because still of the social distancing thing. So a lot of businesses have been suffering except for the D- <laughs> DIY stores because now that everybody's home – uh, because they're working from home, they get the the opportunity to do all those things around the house that they didn't. Waitresses and and waiters and stuff like that also that that aren't working, so they've actually seen quite a quite a boost in in sales. I think.
1: Yeah, well, uh, as you're saying, like everyone has a list of things that they're gonna they're going to do when they have the time, and then Calvert decided you have the time now, so you should be doing it.
0: Is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a figure find out that it's just a big. Uh, It's like the the hardware stores together, like this big conglomerate of hardware stores. They released the virus just because they were seeing dwindling numbers and sales of lumber. Yeah,
1: (laughs) how how do we convince people that they need to buy these things? We tell them they can't do anything else for a while.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Well, have you? Are you stuck at home or?
1: So our lockdown, um, our lockdown started the week before St Patrick's Day here, Mm -hmm. uh, but actually in lockdown. A week before that, again, um, somebody in the office that I work in, uh, they were at a conference and they got an email to say that somebody at that conference had been infected with COVID and as a precautionary measure, our company sent us all home a week early oh,
0: okay. and, um,
1: and then we just haven't gone back since. So myself and my wife, are we're really fortunate, but our jobs allow us to work from home, so Oh, uh we've just been kind of set up in the kitchen uh, but it's 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 fun with a, a four-year-old and a two-year-old yeah. try right ajur who's on a call and who's looking after the kids and um my line of work uh, a call can happen at the drop of a hat they can they, they, they're not necessarily always planned yeah. so um i've been on a couple of calls last minute where my wife will be on a call as well and then it's just pandemonium in the background as they fight over Legos or Paw Patrol or whatever they decide to have an argument over. And it's like they wait. They wait for that moment. You know, they could be good for seven hours and fifty nine minutes and then it's that last sixty seconds that they decide to go for chaos because you're on a call. Yeah.
0: No, I mean I can definitely understand that now I'm lucky that most uh, I had a daughter who was home for a while, uh homeschool being homeschooled, but now she's or not homeschooled, but she was on remote <laughs> remote teaching and distance learning, but now she's gone back. So now most of the times I'm I'm actually home, home alone. Uh, and that's nice for my line of work because I, I, I'm on calls all the time and I can't have people running around in the background or screaming or asking if, you know, if I want lunch and stuff like that. So <laughs> how, uh, I've been talking to a lot of people and this has basically not only become a, uh, A podcast about writing or the art of writing or being creative but it's also kind of become a podcast of how do we deal with being shut-ins and COVID Um, so that's interesting too and some people have said that they I mean most people that I've talked to have have talked about that uh, there's been a lack of creativity uh, because there's just so much else to do and with kids at home have you um, have you suffered from such things
1: um, no, so I'm actually kind of really good in keeping up my my habits. Um, so when I started writing properly, as in focusing on books and not just uh, short stories, I just got into the habit of every day I had to write a minimum of five hundred words, and it's kind of become addiction's the wrong way to describe it, but I I, I get. A kind of itchy feeling in the back of my neck if I haven't done my 500 words before I go to bed mm. so um like I'm writing I'm writing my current series of books for the last seven or eight years now at this stage and every day I have written at least 500 words and so, some days that 500 words can be a struggle because I'm just mentally drained from work or from family or from insert reasons here kind of thing and so I might sit at the keyboard and it could take me literally an hour to type 500 words even though I know exactly where I need them to be Mm. Um, but other times I could knock out a thousand to two thousand words in half an hour 40 minutes not even blink not even realize I've done it it's just the the story just flows Mm. so um, and I've been keeping up particularly with the lockdown uh, I've been keeping that habit up so kids go to bed and myself and my wife will sit down, we'll, we'll probably watch a show on Netflix or something, but kind of my uh, my process has always been that I can't do the fun stuff until I've done the words yeah. at the very least. Um, so the, the, the very odd time, I might be doing those words just before going to bed because life gets in the way and you can't do them necessarily in the way you want. But uh, most nights I'm sitting down, I'll, I'll do my words and then... Uh, Off I Fly. So I've actually started, since the lockdown kicked in, I've actually started my fifth book for uh, the the current series. Um, So I plotted the whole thing out, and then I started the actual writing. I think I'm 10 chapters into the first draft now. Mm. So uh, I don't know if I'm a a freak for being able to do that during a (laughs) pandemic, but uh, it's definitely beneficial nothing else.
0: No, but I think think that's very – I think there's a truth in there because, I I mean, you discuss writer's block – a lot with people uh, and and I'm not going to say that writer's block is a myth because I think there are people that struggle with writer's block all the time uh, and have a hard time. But I think that if you've gotten the tools and especially, I think that's because, I mean, the writer's block s- seems to, t- or this whole quarantine or lockdown seems to stifle creativity and maybe it stifles creativity in those who haven't learned those those tools before. A lockdown happened. Um, I was taught, because I've taken creative writing courses and I've talked to, to writers um, over the course of, of my own writing career, and it's always been, you know, just do the work. The 500 words to set a goal, a daily goal. 500 words is the minimum you can do. I mean, you can, and even if it's, you know, even if it's crap in the end, just do it anyway, because you can always go back and edit it.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. I remember reading somewhere before, uh, there's, there's three author stories about the the minimum goal aspect that I found interesting. So the first one was um, apparently Dan Brown, um, when he does his writing, he sets himself a thousand word day limit and what he does is he actually disconnects his router so that he can't even go online mm. um, so there's no possibility for distractions he won't just check email really quickly or anything and until he gets his thousand words on a day the router stays disconnected um, which i thought was an interesting one because i'd be similar i'd be easily distracted so mm. i don't go as far as turning off the router but i do make sure that i don't have browsers or anything open up when i start my work um, um, the other one then that I found interesting was Terry Pratchett's um, philosophy of the whole thing was uh, if you want to call yourself a writer, you just have to write every day. Yeah. That's it. There's no two ways around it. Um, if, if you don't write every day, you're doing something wrong, and you can't call yourself a writer. Mm-hmm. And then the one that always gives me solace in that 500-word day limit is uh, is not the smallest number, is George R. R. Martin writes, I think, 100 to 140 words a day. Um, so <laughs> it explains why it takes so long for those books to come out, I suppose. But uh, at least I'm doing four times as good as him. So.
0: Yes. <laughs> you could tell people that you're a more prolific wordsmith than George R. R. Martin yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sure, I don't have a HBO show yet. But... No. <laughs>
0: uh yeah no that, that that's definitely i mean that's i think it's all true um i have i think i use scrivener when i write and it's an easy program because it, blo- it can block out your access to everything else but i've also fig- found that using the pomodoro technique where you set a timer that for that for 25 minutes, and you can do it in intervals, so you can do like four 25-minute sessions in a row, and those 25 minutes, all you do is write, and then it gives you a five-minute break, and then you actually, you have to stop. When the thing goes off, you stop. Okay. if it's in the middle of a word, in the middle of a sentence, whatever, you stop. Then you take a break, you leave it for five minutes, and then you go back for another 25.
1: And do you find with that method that, um I suppose there's two scenarios really so when the when the the uh, alarm goes off do you find yourself kind of in the middle of maybe oh I don't know where this is going to go and when you come back you're refreshed or so that's scenario one and then scenario two would be you actually knew exactly where it's going and then the alarm goes off and you have to as you say stop and then you're going off like oh don't lose this gem of a <laughs> <laughs> Like, how do you deal with those situations well the,
0: the, that's the that's a difficult part because yeah oftentimes when you get in because I find that that 25 minute you know work it gets you in a real groove, actually, because you have a timer and you're fighting against a timer and you're just working in it and you get into a real flow. And it's been times where I've just kind of finished the sentence up. It's just like, I got to leave it, take a cup of coffee, return, refreshed. Um, but I mean, also sometimes it's been, and 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 it is difficult because, you I mean, the, the method really works. But what I find interesting is to have it set as a kind of like starter, because then I'll I'll just, when it's 25 minutes past I'll just shut it off and I'll just keep on going. Oh, okay. Because I've gotten into a flow. But most of the times I do the 25, 25, and then especially if I have something else to do, because, you know, our weekends are busy, we have families, we have houses we've got to take care of, and I usually work most best in the morning, so I can set myself, like, I'm i going to do at least two 25-minute sessions. mm <laughs> Uh, and then I have to stop and then I have to go and take care of the house. And that's a good compromise for me and my wife, I think because sometimes she'll be like, but you can't sit and write all the time. We have laundries piling up.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So so, so that's a good compromise and then I find that in 20, in the 25 minute session I get I can get about a thousand words out.
1: That's yeah, that's not bad. that's actually good. Definitely good. Yeah. Um the one that the one so I, I yeah, I, like you said, like we'd love to write all day, wouldn't we? But um <laughs> so most of my uh, writing does tend to happen in the evening times. Um but at the weekends myself and my wife, we alternate the sleep in on mm-hmm. the, the weekend day so most saturdays is i'm up with the kids and it's great because you get up you get to see a little bit of them without the mother influencing them so you do the dangerous stuff that the dads are (laughs) usually allowed to do you know um but i i I try and get the, the chores kind of done as well while while we're up but one thing i've i've noticed as well particularly since the last particularly since january um myself and my wife on a parenting podcast and we've started to put up articles on our website and it's it's great for me because the itch seems to be satisfied um if i get something written so okay. it doesn't necessarily have to be the books that i'm working on i could probably throw up a funny article so i i've started to kind of write comedic articles like you know um. Uh, dad stories from within the trenches and i put them up and i get them out most saturdays and then i feel okay then during the day that i'm not working on what i really want to be working on which is the, the book you know yeah. i've done the chores i've done the dad stuff we're having some family time now but i know there's a funny story up there somewhere for somebody to read <laughs> um, yeah but it's, it's that balance is the trick really isn't it
0: yeah yeah no i did that i did reviews book reviews for for a while for a long time, actually. And, and that's actually how I got into doing the podcast, because I would interview the authors whose books I re- reviewed. Um, and that sometimes would be enough, just having... Because th- I've talked earlier to, to people uh, about the kinetic energy that is pent up inside of you that can only be released through creativity. Yeah. And I've, I've found, and I've said this on numerous, numerous occasions uh, on this podcast that I find that if I don't get that kinetic energy out, that creativity out, um, not so much as it does harm, but I, I can do, it tends to, um, that energy can tend to be used for, for bad things, you know, making up story, you know, it's just, it doesn't, it, it doesn't work to keep it pent up. It has to come out
1: no i totally agree yeah um it's probably harking back to the itch that i mentioned in my head mm-hmm. when i don't hit my one like yeah you're right yeah people that are creative i'm sure it's the same for people that paint or people that draw if they don't get that that outlet they can feel it somewhere it needs to get somewhere um next thing you know you're you're pranking your wife at two o'clock in the morning yeah. <laughs> you've got bigger problems then
0: yes and i think my, my wife has quite a few stories that you could tell about such things uh <laughs> The horrors of it, so I think she says, uh, you know, if I at least get those 25 or two times 25 minutes in, I'm pretty, I'm pretty solid. But when did you get, when did you decide to start uh, writing, like uh, going for it, for real?
1: Um. So it would have been... Back in twenty, or, yeah, two thousand and five, two thousand and six, really. Um, so I, I myself, and my 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 now wife, my then girlfriend, we were living together for a while, and I'd been kind of doing short stories, dabbling here and there. And the idea for my books came, kind of, it popped into my head one day. And um, I know that's a bit of a cliche to say, but like I was just sitting having a coffee, and next thing, this whole like idea about this world that I wanted to write about came into my head, and I said, you know what, I'm I'm going to just do it. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to come up with a process, uh, got to plot it out properly. And my, my main stumbling block up until that point, I had tried to write a novel before and I got stuck in the cycle of, I wrote maybe Two or three pages and then i immediately started to edit them because they had to be perfect i couldn't get on to the next bit and and that's obviously not the way to do it and and i kind of just said when i started writing the first one for this series i was like no no i'm gonna i'm gonna write the whole thing and i'm gonna do drafts i'm gonna have i don't care how bad the first draft is i will spend the rest of my time then smoothing it and polishing it and and so what i discovered then was that even though i had the plot developed you know my characters had different ideas themselves and and the plot kind of evolved and was tweaked as the first draft was written and eventually i got my my, my polished finished product out there and i said this, this is actually pretty good i'm going to try and um get this this out there for people to read and people to know that it exists so it was that summer i sent it off to half a dozen agents and um, it's a kind of a weird one to categorize it's it's fantasy comedy is the genre that it falls into. So you don't find too many fantasy agents willing to take on comedy novels as well. So I kind of had to find specific agents to target. Um, and I got the usual polite nose or, you know, it, it's good, but it's not for us. And that was okay. Um, then the, the bit that kind of was interesting was an agent actually took time to write a personal message back, it wasn't just the usual boilerplate, go away and leave us alone, thank you very much, response. And he said, uh, it's good, it's it's probably not gonna get an agent interested though, because at the time the industry was kind of reliant on the known um, the known names to, to be getting published. So he recommended that I go and try it out on Kindle and see how it did up there. And I was like, well, I'd never even considered that. Uh, and I threw it up on Kindle. And it was fairly well received for the little bit of promotion that I did. I probably, it's probably my biggest failing is promotion. And um, mm-hmm. I have to say, um, but then when I got the second one written, uh, quite close to the actual launch of the first one, um, there's a comic book convention that started in Dublin, and you, as an indie writer, were allowed to go and sell your books at it. Mm-hmm. And I went along, and kind of one of the best stories of my writing career so far is somebody walked past the table and said, oh, I recognize that book. I didn't know you had a second one. So somebody had gotten it on Kindle and then in a random sequence of events, saw me out in public with the second one and they bought the second one there. And I was like, oh, my God, this is great. I've made it. Where's my movie scripts and my deals and all that stuff coming in? Um, but I've just been doing it then ever since. Um just kind of chipping away, writing out the stories. Uh, it's a fun, fun little side hobbit.
0: Yeah. So you're you're basically pleased where where you're at now. You're not looking for a, a big book deal at this point, or if somebody were to to be interested in in putting you up with a, a like a real real publishing deal. That's not the main point anymore, or not the main quest.
1: No, that's not the main quest. So I. I write the stories that i i like to read myself and mm-hmm. um, and i write these stories because i like them and i think other people seem to like them too and um, that's not to say if somebody came knocking tomorrow and they had a a, a deal i wouldn't be turning them down um, but i'm not that's not my my drive it kind of never was really the drive i i always knew about vanity publishing from the point of view of you pay the publisher or the agent and, um, you know, all the forums and the sites and the communities all say the same thing. The money should flow in the opposite direction. You should never pay for yourself. So um, I think Kindle just kind of came along. Kindle is basically like the iPod of the publishing industry. It took them by surprise. They didn't know how popular it was going to be. And that's kind of why paperback sales may have uh, tapered off as more people went digital because, you know, you can just walk around with your entire library now in your back pocket. Um, So I never... I never thought I was going to be going and getting a massive deal. Anyway, I, a, a bit of extra money, sure, great. Um, but the the success that I've had so far, just doing it myself, is 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 perfect. Um, I I have dabbled. I've written a non uh, a non related book to the series. Um, and I have been kind of pushing that out to agents again. And um, mm-hmm. it's a it's actually a sci-fi story instead of a fantasy story. Uh, but the only reason I'm pushing that one out is because the chances of an agent being interested in book four of a series that you've been written um, to publish is, is slim. Yeah. So this was like the first time I've done a book in a couple of years where it's it's a standalone piece. Um, so I'm getting the usual kind of responses back from that. So I'd probably give that to maybe August and I'll be publishing him on Kindle then too. Mm-hmm. But. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. No, why not? Uh, why not try indie publishing at all? I mean, there are several indie in indie publishing houses that might be interested in releasing it. Or do you feel like if you, if if you go the indie publishing right uh, route, you might as well publish it yourself?
1: Um. To be honest, I've never actually looked at the indie publishers myself. Um... And it's it's not something that I would be against by any stretch. Uh, I actually know a guy who's himself and his brothers set up an indie publishing house because they couldn't get their book published any other way. Um, And there's definitely benefits to it. Like they have their book in shops a lot easier and a lot quicker than I managed to get my book into shops. I think I managed to get my book into like three small independent bookshops in Dublin, Mm. Um, and they actually kind of they sold and then they they ordered the next copy when I kind of tell them that there's a, a new edition or a new um a new volume out there. But these guys actually managed to get theirs into like the, the chains and stuff because they have connections and stuff like that. So it would be kind of something I should start considering. I did have this mad plan when I first wrote the first one that I put the first book up for, uh, I think it was three euro. Because uh, I always it always kind of irked me a little bit that even though Kindle got so popular, popular, you were still paying full physical copy prices for digital copies of the books. So you can get my book on, it's a, you can get them on print on demand uh, via Amazon and whatnot. um, And they're priced based on the publishing or the the printing costs. So I don't really control much of that. Um, And then I I put them up cheaper though on Kindle because I just felt that that's the way it should be, Mm -hmm. the way the industry should have gone. Um, So I always had this mad plan though, where If I got to book five, it kind of showed I wasn't just a hobbyist that had, oh, yeah, I can write one book. I know I've done it. I'm going to put my feet up. Uh, And then I was going to kind of use a weird model where book one was free to hook you in and then book two would be a little cheaper and three and five. It would only start getting uh, more expensive as you went on. But they'd they'd all be within five euro. They wouldn't be anything astronomically crazy. Uh, Because I read an article about, uh, her name escapes me now, Emily Hawking, I think her name is, and she used a similar model herself. She, she had written uh, a fantasy trilogy. She wrote the whole thing from start to finish. She hired an editor. Uh, herself out of her own money and when she went around to all the agents in the publishing houses they all said no sorry we've no interest and she said okay I'm going to self-publish it and she did and she put the first book up for free and then book two and three were 10 quid each and I think she made like a million in five years or something like that (laughs) and and when that happened then all of a sudden all the agents were like oh my god we have to represent you (laughs) so I just I saw that model and I was like well that's not going to happen to me because lightning doesn't strike twice but it's not a bad idea you know book one is is absolutely free and if you like it sure give me a couple euro for book two it's the four and then I'll buy a coffee or something
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that's it that yeah, was interesting but there I because I've I've realized and I didn't think I mean I was very much the same same way you were thinking I needed to to have everything I needed to write like a chapter edit it make sure it was perfect because I didn't want to go back to it it's kind of very very um anti-reading my own stuff once it was completed uh and then i think it just kind of sending it off to big publishing houses and stuff like that and just getting those but it's just in the the recent years actually that i've been sending stuff to to indie publishers and and you know getting ha- having it published in, in various anthologies and that's been a you know i think a great little um a way to to kind of um lifts your spirits while you're writing you get those like you do these short stories that are a thousand to five thousand words and they they get accepted and you're just like oh it really makes you want to continue on that big big project
1: yeah, well, at the end of the day, that's getting your name out there, isn't it? Yeah, um, You know, someone will pick up that anthology; they'll recognise Christopher, and they'll be like, "Oh, yeah, I read it. I read something about him before. I read <laughs> something by him before. Yeah, I'll pick up the bigger thing. That's no problem. And that's the main goal, really. Yeah, uh, as
0: far as I can see. So, tell me a little bit about uh, Filthy Henry and your uh, this uh, this series that you've written.
1: So, the the idea came. Um, I, I've always been a big fan of. Celtic myths and legends um, since I was very small. So a lot of the books that are on my shelves are all Celtic myths and legends. And the idea of Filthy Henry is he is a detective who is a half human and a half fairy. And um, so one parent was was human, and one parent was a fairy creature. And he is something of an anomaly in the world because the fairy race, they tend to remain hidden and they don't like humans to know that they exist and they live right beside us but they're totally invisible to us because humans are not able to see or sense magic. Um, And then Filthy Henry's whole existence is an affront to the fairy people of Ireland and they don't like him, they don't like the fact that he exists, they can't do anything about it because they're there's an actual deal from one of the old legends where uh, fairies used to swap human babies with changelings. Yeah. And uh, if changelings, the, cha- the whole point of a changeling was that they would die uh, quite quickly. And then the parents would just assume that their child had died. But meanwhile, the fairies are off doing nefarious things to the child. But the, the rules I kind of came up with for the story was um, if Filthy Henry survived to his first birthday... fairy race could do nothing so for one whole year they're trying to kill a baby and they they totally fail and then he lives to the ripe old age of 80 but he actually looks like he's 30 because he ages slower as a half fairy creature and so this kind of puts him in the unique situation of being a mediator for when things go wrong between the fairy world and the human world Um, so there's a, a concept in the stories of the rules and these are just kind of rules that the fairy race have to follow where they basically can't you know take over humanity and enslave people and if they if they break the rules they they have to get back in balance and this is where filthy henry comes in so and the first book for example the king of the leprechauns his uh, pot of gold is stolen uh, but it's stolen by two humans so this is immediately a, a situation where they need somebody who has one foot on each side of the the fence uh, to deal with the problem, because if the fairies go after humans, they'll be breaking the rules. And also, they don't quite know how these humans have managed to find out about the leprechaun's pot of gold. So Filthy Henry gets involved and uh, he just does his magical stuff. But he's a bit of a con man. He's sarcastic. He doesn't have too many friends in the world. So he's a bit of an outsider. Um, and then it kind of just it goes from there Um I have a, a wealth of myths and legends to draw from, so each of the books kind of touches on little stories from the old tales and kind of puts a modern spin on them with Filthy Henry sitting in the middle of it, basically.
0: Hmm. Did you... Because, I mean, there's a lot of things to... to uh you know, to touch on when it comes to like inspiration and stuff like that, because uh, in some ways there's a little Terry Pratchett. We already mentioned him. He's one of my my absolute favorites uh, in, the, in the fact that some people can't see uh, things that uh, are beyond their capability or beyond their understanding. Uh, it reminds me a little of Tom Holt, which is a very Terry Pratchett-esque uh, yeah, author. I yeah. love Tom Holt. He's very, it feels like he's very unknown in, in most of the world.
1: I have a number of his books here. I'm looking at them right now. The, uh, the one where the guy goes and gets the job in the office and he has the portal, the door portal that yeah. up and down. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, I think my hero and uh, the one, which um, was which, which which is about like the Goblin King, but he's like an effective Goblin King. I oh yeah, remember, yeah. I can't remember what that one's called, but that one's really really great. Uh, I also think about uh, Jasper. Ford is his name. The The Air Affair, which is kind of it. It's not exactly the same, but it's uh, kind of turns like the the world of uh, literature on its head with literary detectives and stuff like that. Very, uh, and of course uh, Artemis Fowl.
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely Artemis Fowl. I think I think he came out just as I'd f- published the second one, mm. um, if I remember my timelines correctly. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's there's touches of that. Someone once said as well, uh, after they read it, now, for some reason, his review got tucked down from Amazon. I'm never, never quite <laughs> sure why that happened. But um, the description that he put up was, it was like Neil Gaiman, Terry Pratchett and Tom Holtz all got drunk and then walked through the streets of Dublin. And I was like, oh my God, these are like all of my favorite guys. Yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. Um yeah. But yeah, no, I'm a huge Pratchett fan. I I I was lucky enough to meet the man um many years ago. I have a signed copy of Good Omens. Oh. It's one of my the most proud possessions. Um, next to my my children, of course, if my wife ever listens to this. <laughs> um but yeah, I, I've I've read every single one of the Discworld books multiple times. I have them all on my shelf. Um, so there's, there's definitely, a, I know he influences me. Um, up until I read my first ever book from the series to read, I read Guards, Guards. I jumped in in the middle of, of the published books at that time. Up until that point, though, I always thought fantasy was just... You know it always had to be highbrow it always yeah. had to be the the sword and the stone dragons all that kind of stuff and then i was reading guards guards and i was like oh man i'm i'm the class clown in school and this, <laughs> this guy here is writing books where the hero is a class clown. this is amazing i'm gonna do this instead and <laughs> um, so that's definitely been where i got my influence from there and then gaiman and um, just Never is the one that always stuck out in my head mm-hmm. as being one of his his best ones. I know he's got a, a lot of them and fans will always disagree and argue over which of them, but just that whole concept of a world underneath London, yeah. that was just a doorway away, um, kind of definitely influenced. So when I was coming up with Filthy Henry, I, I know that the two of those were somehow sitting in a coffee shop going, oh, someone's just stole a bunch of our ideas. <laughs> um, <laughs> But
0: I got away with it, so <laughs> yeah, I'm okay for now. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, um, it's interesting because I have a similar tale I was, I was talking to when I was interviewing David Green a couple of podcasts ago, who's also incidentally from, from Ireland and is a, a fantasy author of sorts. Uh, we were talking about that this whole uh, you know, the history of one's interest in fantasy. And, I mean, I was also, it was the highbrow stuff. It was Lord of the Rings. It was uh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. It was Stephen Donaldson. It was all those guys. And then I think I was working as a librarian at a, at a high school, and they called me in to proctor a test. And I was just like, well, what am I supposed to just sit here and stare at the kids? Uh, so I, I grabbed the first book that I saw off the shelf, and it happened to be Men at Arms. Oh, nice! So I read that in one sitting, just proctoring the test. We did not proctoring very much, just kind of reading. And then after that, it was so like, Yeah, I collect everything that has to do with uh, the Discworld, like the Claire Craft design uh, figures, all the diaries, everything. Uh, I have a special shelf on my in my bookshelf that is dedicated to to Pratchett things i even have like the, the the music the Discworld music on cd and everything like that so
1: i have that same cd <laughs> it's the only cd i still own yeah. um, it was one of the first ones that i ripped so that i could have the MP3s of it yeah. <laughs> and i've actually put it up on the shelf with the
0: books yeah so that
1: the whole thing is collected together
0: yeah because i don't really have like a cd player except for in my car uh so i have it on proudly on on display it's the only s- cd that i actually still like display
1: yeah, no, I'm yeah.
0: saying, and I'm I'm actually I'm thinking about there is a soul music soundtrack as well. Um, that I is, haven't
1: heard that actually. I must dig that out.
0: Yeah, it's. I think it's. You can still, if you'd like, search for it. I think they still like sell it through some some home page. Some page um, that's for the, the the movie that came out.
1: Yeah, I I have the animated movies. Yeah. and um, a couple of Christmases ago, my wife got me. I'd, I'd seen them already, but she the live actions so
0: Mm.
1: we watch hog father every so often and my eldest daughter is very confused as to why santa claus is a skeleton i have to try and explain to her about this world that goes around space and a turtle you know what i'll I'll till you're older
0: (laughs) yeah no i do and i read uh, where's my cow to my kids and everything like that it's um i know it's i think it's um um, it's something to. I think it's. I'm. A, I'm a collector of sorts, or I have been th- through the years, but now it's only this world stuff that I collect. So, and I was. I was happy to to once I discovered Tom Holt and even Robert Rankin to a to a certain extent, but he's a little bit more coarse in his humor.
1: He is and. Uh, This is amazing. It's like talking to myself. Um, (laughs) I I have a lot of Robert Rankin's books. I found his Brentford trilogies to be his best work. Yes. Um, The the coarse humour didn't seemed to be there as much there was elements of it but uh, it just seemed he decided to build a world around the the Brentford uh, triangle um but his other ones that went they went a little bit crazy like there's the one that's based in Thailand and it's like why did it have to be based in Thailand that didn't actually like bring anything to the story oh man I remember buying one of his books and I the only reason I bought it I used to kind of religiously buy them until I like yourself, like I, I felt the humour got a bit coarse and I was like, nah, I swear quite a lot but this is just a bit too much for me. Yeah. And I think I went a couple of years without buying anything and then somebody said, oh, you have to pick up this one because um, Jim Pooley is in the book. And I said, yeah. oh God, I have to see you now this tie back into the thing and that's the only reason I bought it. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, because I, I think I, the first book I, I read was Apocalyp... Uh, Apocalypso? Yes. And that one's really coarse because it's even like... I don't know what if he's like this, is like a big alien parsnip with a huge penis just hanging out. Yeah, it's really weird. And but then I I listened to the radio play version of uh, of the Brentford tri- uh, trilogy, and that one's actually that's really good.
1: Yeah, um, no, they they were definitely fantastic.
0: Um, and I, yeah.
1: Particularly when I got the book four or five yeah. and the trilogy just made no sense, but he just insisted on still using it. Then which yeah. is great.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's uh, it's awesome. I, I and then I'm hoping because I know they're making they're making a movie based on one of his books, Alice on Alice on Mars, and I think oh. it's still in some kind of pre production, but. And he's still very active. He makes uh he uh, like owns all the rights to his own books now. So he kinda puts them out every once in a while. He puts them all out for free on Kindle.
1: Oh, does he? I must keep an eye out for yeah. that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, follow him on Facebook actually. He now mostly he talks about how everybody's like dying all around him. But uh, so he's <laughs> but he's getting ancient, so <laughs> it's, oh, just, God. it's interesting. Uh, yeah, but so so at least, I mean, there's there's influences there and I'm sure that the whole Artemis Fowl thing can be if people like Artemis Fowl. I mean, your your books are probably the next step. Um,
1: well, I'd like to, yeah, if, if people want to use Owen Colfer and Derek Power in the same sentence, <laughs> I would be more than happy for that to happen. <laughs> um, I have had a few people, uh, so I, I've done the the comic book convention, I've been at it now four years running um, as a, the the area that you go to is called Artists Alley. And mm-hmm. basically it's all kind of indie publishers, self-publishers um, in, in books, in comics, and then people that make um, fantastic art. Uh, you know, they, they draw one-off pieces of comic book characters or, or they might make um, wands from Harry Potter, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I've definitely, in my last year at it, there was a lot of people kind of coming along saying like, oh yeah, no, you're kind of similar too. And I was like, well, hold on a second. You're actually describing me, which means you've read one of them already, which is great, (laughs) this is brilliant. Here, have the other
0: ones it' it's interesting because your, your 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 covers did you have you created those covers yourself or did I, you i
1: did yeah so um i read before that robert rankin actually creates all of his own covers all those mad sculptures yeah. that he has he makes them himself yeah. and i was like oh well i actually can draw so <laughs> i i'll draw them and then the idea was the uh the pattern the swirling pattern, I was just going to change the color of that uh, each book, so then I, it was easy for people to go like, oh, it was the blue one, it was the pink one, it was the mm. purple one. Um, now, the, the hilarious thing is, when I designed the first cover, and I only had the one book, my wife was like, oh, that's perfect, it's got the mystery, it's the blue eyes, all of this stuff is great. And then when I'd done the next cover, she's like, no, 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 you're going to need to hire yourself somebody now, they're just, it's, no, it's not working <laughs> for me. And when I got all the way up to book four, she's like, no, seriously, in fact, the first cover was really nice when it was just the first book, but now you need them all done. You just go and find yourself an artist now. And I was like, oh, that's just soul-destroying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Robert Rankin, I think he he's changed all the covers. So they have kind of like, it's similar to you, kind of like a, um, just like a solid background, and then there's a r- circle. Uh, and then he's, uh, he's drawn an illustration in. So he's, like, removed all those crazy sculptures <laughs> now.
1: Oh, has he? <laughs> yeah.
0: So all the new editions, his own editions, are are uh, complete. It's interesting because he has his own far-fetched fables, I think, is what he considers his style to be, which is a great actual sub-genre of, of fantasy, I think.
1: That is, yeah. No, that's perfect. That's kind of real, like, I didn't fit anywhere, so I'm going to make my own.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, okay, so, so, um, and then did you, um, was that difficult to, to learn how to, to create covers, or was it just kind of something that just you fell into?
1: Um, so, I've, I've always been a drawer. Um, not so much a painter uh, and when the advent of uh, digital art came along I was kind of one of the first people to jump onto it as a hobbyist mm-hmm. so I, I have a A3 sized uh, tablet pad that I can hook into my PC then and I'm, I'm fairly proficient in Photoshop and Illustrator for that kind of stuff so kind of coming up with the, the picture itself and the design that was all fine the trick I found was the wraparound aspect of a cover, mm-hmm. um, But I got lucky in that they're actually they were bought by Amazon, and um, But Create Space, yeah, used to be who I would have used as my uh my uh print publishing people, um. They would provide you with a template after you uploaded your file. So if you uploaded a file and you said it was two hundred and seventy pages or three hundred and seventy pages, whatever, they would give you uh, a PDF, uh template that was the exact dimensions you needed to have for your cover for Mm -hmm. a book of that size. So then all I had to do was kind of follow the template guide of putting in the bits and knowing where stuff was going to get cut off, getting used to the idea of bleed. Doing all that just took me a weekend and then it was upload and off it went. Um, and the, I kind of missed the Create Space tool a little bit because it was really good at kind of spotting the issues as you were working on them. Okay. So you'd, you'd upload it and it immediately as the, the file rendered, it would highlight like, well, look, this here is not going to work. So you need to do something about that. Like, oh, brilliant. So you kind of picked it up real quick and then I just saved, the the first ever cover I saved as a file, and the file still exists up in my Dropbox now, and it's called "This is perfect." Use this all the time. And so then, when I went to book two, it was just like, "Oh, I need this is perfect." Quick, pull it down, change it all around, put the new pictures in. Boom, off we go. So uh, it's just a file now with multiple layers. Each layer is a different cover color.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, when when I was talking to to David Green, we were talking a little bit, and he he actually he was talking more about the the situation of indie publishing in Ireland, and he he kind of said that it's still in Ireland you're a little bit um, looked down on uh, when you're when you're a fantasy or genre fiction author uh, because it's all James Joyce and uh, and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do you find that that's the same for you?
1: well how do you compete with Joyce?
0: <laughs> yeah, well that's
1: true <laughs> you, you don't you just give up and stop writing um no one, one thing that i found one thing that's actually weird about the publishing scene in ireland i don't know necessarily about the indies but definitely the traditional stuff is ireland seems to focus on uh books about farming um chick lit, and that was it <laughs> um, you kind of get a couple of true crimes in there maybe you a bit of historian stuff but like if you wanted to do anything really not in those genres you had to go afield so you had to go over to london agents was what i found and mm. um, nobody in ireland wants to talk to you about publishing a a, a fantasy story let alone a comedy fantasy story and um, and it's it's just weird uh, that that's the way it is because we're known as a land of of poets of writers yeah. of comedians and in particular when it comes to fantasy like one of our our biggest legends is about a magical bull like you don't get more fantasical than that and yes we don't have any fantasy agents or publishers no. or people who even want to talk to them um, so yeah there's definitely an element of the no 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 you don't belong here you belong somewhere else and, and yeah. carry on all the best <laughs> see you later
0: No, yeah no, it, the, yeah, no and, and that's the same here in, in Sweden is definitely very I should say elite elitistic I think when it comes to, to writing it's you know well I mean you have the Nobel Prize here in literature so um and obviously it has to be of a certain standing so you just can't be anybody who comes and and writes genre fiction Yeah and and then that, and that's sad because then you don't really get the big publishing houses basically what they do is they very seldom publish Swedish authors who who write fan, fantasy or genre fiction if it's not detective stories because people just Go crazy for crime store crime novels here in Sweden. Oh, really? Everybody loves. I mean, but I think it has to do because we have a rich culture of crime fiction in in Sweden from from the seventies when Mai Sjöwall and Per basically created the modern you know police crime story. They took what Ed McBain did and then they put some reality to it, and then they created Beck, the Martin Beck, the the uh, and without him, without them, you wouldn't have Elizabeth George and you wouldn't have P.D. James and you wouldn't have uh, all those other authors because they just basically ran with the same formula.
1: Okay, that's really interesting.
0: Uh, and and I think, so that that genre is acceptable, but other, like Swedish science fiction had a little bit of a heyday in the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s. Swedish fantasy, there's like, I think, five authors in total that I've ever published any books to a, a Swedish company. And then it was through various RPG, uh, publishers. So, uh, I mean, it's definitely difficult to, to get ahead here. Yeah, that
1: definitely sounds it. Um, I mean, what's the chances of a fantasy crime story?
0: Doing? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that That's true. Maybe, maybe something like that. Maybe, uh um, well, I mean, you you have a det- you're, you're, uh, you have a fairy detective. Maybe translate it into to Swedish and see what happens.
1: See what happens, yeah.
0: <laughs> can't go can't go wrong. Uh, so, what are you? We're gonna wind down here, uh, and uh, so i just kind of wondering what are, I mean. You're talking about that you're working on the fifth book right now, and what is uh, what is the ETA on that?
1: Oh, never, never give a, an ETA. I found um, poor George or Martin gives ETAs all the time, and then he gets abuse when he gets when he never meets them. Um, so, the the fifth book is based around a legend in Ireland to do with Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually it's called Nearly Christmas because a, a pet peeve of mine is that Christmas decorations. I don't know about in, in your home, but definitely in Ireland. Um, they appear on the shelves before Halloween even happens, which is horrible because then you get people like me who walk in and they put like zombies in amongst all the Santa Claus and see what happens. So I purposely called it nearly Christmas because I have that exact scene happens. Filthy Henry does that in a shop. He purposely moves the zombies in beside the nativity because he doesn't agree that they should happen at the same time. Um, But I think if I, if I stick on my current path um, and the way the, words have been flowing I've been getting lucky I've been kind of hitting 700 to 800 words a night Uh, I should have the first draft done by the summer Hmm. and maybe the end of uh, so that'd be about I think I've plotted out 29 chapters Uh, and so far so good I'm happy with what's there so it'll be into editing phase then so if uh, if I'm really good if I stick the course I should have something out that I'm happy enough with probably christmas time um maybe a little bit after maybe march next year
0: sounds good and um and then you were talking about your science fiction story that might i mean that might might or might not come out um sooner than later
1: yeah so the the science fiction story is it's actually a detective story again um so my my all-time favorite book is Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip
0: K. Love that book. Um, book.
1: I've read it so many times now that I, I have it on my Kindle just to have it and i was like i'd finished the book and i was like i haven't read androids in a while i'll read it and i spotted that someone has been very cheeky and one of the things i love about philip k dick books is the future was like 1999 you know it was was ridiculous (laughs) absolutely ridiculous um and someone's updated the dates on the kindle version so they're all now 25 72 no 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 you don't do that um but i i I had this idea for a a science fiction noir story and with a a cop base in the future and there's a machine that allows you to have a, a copy of yourself for eight hours, but it is effectively eliminated murder, but then a murder happens. So she has to try and figure out how this is possible. Um so I think I'm gonna be realistic. I'm gonna give it till August uh with the last of the agents that I've I've reached out to from mm. the list that I'm working through. And uh, if I don't hear anything from them, um I'll probably be putting it up on Kindle I'd say late August, early September time. Mm. So It's it's about two years since I've put out a book. So book four of Filthy Henry, um, Stolen Stories, came out two years ago. And then I've been working on uh, the sci-fi story for the intermittent two years so I have a lot of people constantly and um, particularly work people which is always annoying uh saying when's the next filthy henry book coming out and then you go and say actually I've worked on this science fiction story and they're like yeah yeah, yeah I don't want that I want book five when's well, book five coming out and then it's like oh my god never work with your fans whatever you do no that's uh, true so yeah i I can see that one coming out though late late August early September on Kindle Um, I may even go and get a proper cover done to keep my wife happy um, <laughs> and then hopefully get book five then' yeah, filthy Henry out uh, which will make me look super productive if I do that like in the space of a couple of
0: months yeah actually it would <laughs> would it's like that's a prolific writer yeah. he writes he, he puts out books faster than George Rr R. martin yeah <laughs> That's I actually I
1: joked about that back when I was working on um, *Accidental Legend*, the third *Filthy Henry* book. Um, I said to my wife, "You know, George R. Martin said he's going to have uh, eight books in *The Song of Ice and Fire*, and he's 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 not doing it. I reckon I could get eight *Filthy Henry* books before he finishes his <laughs> one. <laughs> so, if I get five out, I'm still on course to do Yeah, <laughs>
0: exactly. I think they, uh, Dana Gabaldon, the uh, *Outlander* author, as well. Uh, she's very she's very much behind on her the the latest book as far as now
1: which is probably the uh the secret pleasure of being an indie writer really isn't it you don't have to no. to those timelines that you, you don't announced. have to
0: answer to everyone to anyone <laughs> so Derek, uh, it's been lovely where can people find you if they're interested in following you on social media
1: um so social media i'm on twitter Um, I am DC Power underscore author.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, There is a Facebook page. Sadly, I set it up as a Filthy Henry page, so I can't change that. Um, But I I mainly write about Filthy Henry, so I don't mind about that. Um, So if people want to find me on Facebook, I'm there too. I do have an Instagram account, but it's mainly pictures of my kids. So probably not (laughs) much use to anyone who actually cares about writing stuff. Um, But yeah, they're they're the main two. Uh, Twitter probably the best because I've actually... um, I've set the notifications on my phone. So when people tweet me or uh, even leave messages, I actually can reply to them straight off the bat. And I like that. I I like that whole part of Twitter, um, which is great. Sure, that's how we met. um, Yeah,
0: that is how we met.
1: (laughs) So, you know, I got to love Twitter for that.
0: Uh, Well, Derek, it's been lovely to talk to you and um, hoping maybe you could return to talk a little bit about your science fiction book once it comes out to do some promotional work.
1: Absolutely yeah I'd love to
0: come back this yes. was, this was great this was really good fun yes so um thank you for coming on and have a great evening and I hope you get you, you hit your daily goal today
1: thanks very much I'll talk to you again yeah
0: bye cheers bye bye That was a fun talk. Uh, as Derek says, it's almost like you talk. You're talking to uh, yourself sometimes. I find this with this podcast. It's so many people that you have so many similarities with. And I mean, I don't always seek these people out. It's just the happy, happy happy happenstance that uh, we get in contact with each other. Uh, I would like to thank everybody for listening, for tuning in. Keep doing it. Um, support us by tweeting out, Facebooking out, uh, sharing. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, on Twitter. All the links uh, will be in the show notes. If you want to, if you're interested in what I'm doing and my updates, I try to update my blog all the time. It's also uh, Wisconsin Noir on Wix. Uh, look for that if you want more updates. You can also go to my Amazon. Author page. Right now I have three books out, or stories in three anthologies that are out. Forgotten Ones, Fatal Fairies, and Supernatural. Uh, Forgotten Ones from Erie River, uh, Fatal Fairies from Nocturnal Sirens, and uh, Supernatural from Irish Horse. So check those out. Follow me on my Amazon page. I'm under C. Mary Haltman. And my cat is making noise in the background. (laughs) I would like to thank Derek Power for coming on. Uh, I'd like to thank you listeners and, of course, John Holtman for providing music. Stay safe. Have a good time out there. Talk to you later.